Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at bbmglobalnetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Conversation Reimagined with neuroscience-based communication and leadership consultant, Dr. Andrea. Let Dr. Andrea help you to understand what's happening in the brain and body, chemically, electronically, and emotionally during conversations that impact how we converse and connect on Conversation Reimagined. Hello, and welcome to Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we're live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Today, I want to talk about cultures of fear. I'd like to believe that cultures of fear are inadvertently created, even if reality and the five bully bosses that I've once endured tell me differently. Business today moves at hyperspeed. We're constantly in connection through our technology, and many organizations have this overemphasis on quarterly results. I think it's these factors that cause many leaders to inadvertently create cultures of fear. Expectations are high to make the right decisions, often with little or no guidance, let alone support. And of course, for those on the receiving end, many of us are afraid to admit we don't know something or how to do something. And sometimes we're even afraid to ask for help. Yet when someone makes a wrong decision, they often get blamed, and that blame snowballs downhill, passed on from one level to the next and the next, and on it goes. How many listeners have experienced this? Listeners, I'd love to know your experiences of enduring or handling cultures of fear. Please call 866-451-1451. That's 866-451-1451, and let me know your experiences. I'd like to believe that managing with fear is not intentional, that I've, I have heard it phrased that fear is the most convenient tool for managing people. I think a lot of times people don't stop to question their words or actions to realize that they are the culprit of putting people into a fear state. Listeners, I challenge you to look inward today and reflect on your own words and behaviors and how they may be perceived as fearful by others. 
Sheila Keegan, a psychologist and business consultant, wrote a book in 2015 called The Psychology of Fear in Organizations. And in it, she purports that cultures of fear permeated many workplaces since the 2008 global economic recession. She says, we have become much more brutal within our organizations. I'd certainly agree with that. I see it in the executives I coach and consult for. To a person, they operate with uncertainty, anxiety, and insecurity. And I guess if you believe that misery loves company, then listeners, you're in the same boat. And executives, you're also in that boat. In many companies, this has led to leaders reverting to a command and control style And many organizations have become obsessed with measuring or monitoring or even dictating processes to reach goals. I've seen leaders be over-controlling and even discourage risk-taking. But when people live in fear, their novel and creative thinking that's necessary for innovation and growth is diminished. And fear spreads like wildfire in a workplace. The irony is that on the flip side, positive, Supportive environments are just as contagious. I read a 2012 Decision Rise benchmark study of over 100,000 employees that found 34% of U.S. employees don't speak up out of fear of retribution. That's over one-third of people who don't speak up. Cultures of fear, though, aren't just due to leaders. We all mutually influence each other regardless of title, level in the hierarchy, or even how long we've been there. How many of us have been harassed by coworkers or belittled and had our ideas stolen or others taking our credit? We all mutually influence each other. Some of us seem to forget this, or maybe they do it on purpose. Fear shows up in the workplace looking like poor morale, short-term thinking, or blaming, And sure, there's the obvious bullying, defensiveness, or obsession with rules. Yet even having our credibility questioned is a sign of fear from the one who is doing the questioning. You see, fear and trust can't exist, can't coexist, sorry. Fear and trust can't coexist in the workplace nor in the brain. Neuroscientists have found that fear and trust have an intimate and almost reciprocal relationship As one increases, the other decreases. You can't focus on both at the same time. But fear moves much faster. In fact, it's processed within 10 to 30 milliseconds. And by 400 milliseconds, your brain knows what it needs to do and ignites your body to do it. Fear ultimately presents and prevents all of us from being or doing our best. So if fear and trust can't coexist, how do you move from fear to more trust? The answer is through conversation. Good, safe, supportive conversations where you encourage people to speak up about what they may be reluctant to talk about. Supportive conversations, even if you don't speak directly about the actual fear, will actually lessen it. And specifically labeling the emotion you're feeling will take the sting out of that feeling. Why does saying, I don't know, create so much fear? Fear of looking bad or stupid? What's wrong with saying, I don't know, but I'll look into it and get back to you? We may be hard-pressed to find a business without fear of something, either in its incentives, fear of failure, fear of competitors, 
or simply FOMO, the fear of missing out. Psychological safety is the antidote to fear, and psychological safety is when you believe you won't be punished or humiliated for speaking up or giving an opinion, asking a question, addressing a concern, or admitting mistakes. And if fear and psychological safety were on opposite ends of a continuum, your organization will fall somewhere in between. Can you identify where? A 2017 Gallup poll found that only 3 in 10 employees strongly agree that their opinions count at work. And Gallup estimated that by moving that ratio from 3 in 10 to 6 in 10 employees strongly agreeing that their opinions count, that organizations could realize a 40% reduction in safety incidents, a 12% increase in productivity, and a 27% reduction in turnover. Every leader I talk to complains about turnover, yet how many of them stop to realize that they may be creating a culture of fear? I've shared a lot here, and listeners, I know you have interesting things to add, experiences of organizations who get it right and those who get it painfully wrong. I'd love it if you'd call in and share or let's discuss please call 866-451-1451. That's 866-451-1451. We're about to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with my guest, Kevin Denning. Kevin is going to share his secrets for how he gets right what others get so painfully wrong. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we're live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. We'll be right back. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality, but it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating? Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening. Uh, it's like a, a flow inside. Yeah, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com or call 416-529-7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical. person caring for someone living with dementia, then this program is for you. It's designed for families and friends coping with the challenges of caregiving. The foundation of care, Susan Kohler believes, is communication. Innovative Dementia Care with Susan Kohler provides strategies to keep the lines of communication open between you and your loved one, increase quality interactions, decrease the burden of daily care for you, the caregiver. 
Join Susan, 11 a.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network. Susan and her guests will share techniques so you can facilitate your loved one's ability to safely follow your instructions, participate in daily activities, and express daily wants and desires. To learn positive solutions, creative ideas, and practical strategies that will build a healthy foundation of care. Welcome back to Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we're live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Before the break, I was discussing cultures of fear. And if you're living in a work culture of fear or have survived one or turned one around, I'd love to hear your story. Please call 866-451-1451. I'd like to welcome my guest, Kevin Denning. Kevin has been CEO of Cirrus Systems Corporation and is currently the Chief Technology Officer for CEO Builder in Utah. Kevin has a knack for treating people exceptionally well. He walks the walk while others merely talk the talk. We're going to talk with Kevin today and get him to share his secrets for how he gets right what many others get so painfully wrong. Welcome, Kevin. Kevin, Thanks. based on Glad your... To be here. Thanks, Kevin. Based on your employee accolades and reviews, you're definitely not a guy who creates a culture of fear. Has it always been that way for you, or did you have to learn it? And if you had to learn, did you have a defining moment that you can look back to that is significant? I think, I think we're conditioned our entire lives to have some types of fear. Some of it's beneficial, like look both ways before you cross the street or don't get into cars with strangers. However, you know, we're taught that if you do this, I'll tell your mom, or speaking in public is really scary, or don't let the boss see you do that. You know, we're reinforced from the first day of school by that inevitable red pen showing us all the times that we're wrong. That's a really good point. We're always caught doing things wrong and almost never doing things right. I'm also thinking about the neuroscience of how we learn many of these traits when we're young. Part of this is based on the brainwave states we're naturally in as children. The dominant brainwaves of infants between the ages of zero and two are delta waves, and those are attributed to deep sleep and healing, and they're restorative. So sleep equates to the energy it takes to grow. That's the reason babies sleep a lot from zero to two, because their primary brainwaves are delta waves. But then as children age between the ages of two and seven years, they transition primarily into theta waves. And in this state, the world is magical. It's wonderful. And they have everything possible to make their dreams come true. It's the time when children wear fairy dresses, Superman capes, and thrust imaginary swords with imaginary friends. The challenge to operating primarily in theta waves as a child is there's no filter. So fast forward into adulthood when you've sworn that you would never repeat what your parents said, and all of a sudden you hear their words fly out of your mouth. You're wearing their programming from childhood, and it takes a lot of effort to overcome this programming. Kevin, what else influenced you? Well, my family moved a lot when I was young. I've been the new kid in school probably at least a dozen times. 
So fear comes pretty naturally to me, having been picked on for most of my childhood. When you're when you're new in school, you don't get much right. The textbooks change. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I got lost on the way home because it was all new, or I got on the wrong bus. You don't know the culture of the school. You don't know who you should or shouldn't associate with. So I've been schooled in fear for a very long time. I just had flashbacks from your wrong bus story to the numerous times that I've been on a train in Switzerland and didn't know that the cars split apart, only to find myself ending up far away from my destination. I still have train anxiety. I'm grateful for your honesty in that story. I think about with a different constitution, you might have become solitary, insular, angry, or even worse. We certainly hear about such types of individuals when they make almost weekly news in the aftermath of the fallout from such an outburst. But what kept you, Kevin, on the positive path and took you out of being rooted in that fear? Well, you know, even though we learn these fears, um, we, we still have the ability to choose. You know, fear is one of those things that um, we can even be either be driven by our fears or the fear can focus us on deciding and making good decisions on how we'll act and react. It also helps to realize that fear itself isn't real. I love that you say that because here's something fascinating that neuroscientists have recently altered. They no longer talk about individual brain parts as much as they speak to networks. And they speak of the imagination network. It's also called the default mode. And in the imagination network, we literally fantasize and we imagine and we create. And in this case that we're talking about fear, we create fear of something as if it were real. And the brain doesn't even realize or know that it isn't real. So the brain is literally making it up and believing it. The real problem is our imagination interferes with our ability to empathize and respond to other people in meaningful ways. Kevin, what else have you learned? Well, there's some amazing tools out there that can help us learn or to cope and react. Uh, but it does take effort on our part to really make these changes work. Uh, one of those is a book called Crucial Conversations. And I love this book. It teaches that whatever's going on in your head is going to come out, whether it's through your words or your attitudes or your nonverbal behaviors. Uh, the book also is really great because it guides us through a process of improving. This is fascinating. Can you tell us more or give us another tidbit from Crucial Conversations? Uh, For example, uh, one of the items to remember is to avoid what they call the sucker's choice. This is when we tell ourselves an internal story about how we're caught between two bad options. So we learn to justify to ourselves or by saying or doing something that even violates our own values. That's pretty fascinating that we're stuck in an either or situation and completely forget that it could be an and. We've got about 30 seconds before our our next break. And I understand, Kevin, that you're actually a certified Crucial Conversations facilitator. I'm wondering what drew you to do this and what's been the biggest benefit of doing so? Um, It's it's interesting. 
always kind of felt that good communication is the key to success. I, I had an, I had an organizational behavior class from uh, a fellow named Kerry Patterson, and he's one of the authors of the book. His class was amazing and getting me to think more and to act instead of reacting. We also learned a lot about human psychology and why people respond the way they do. And so when the book came out, I just got it right away and I was fascinated by it and I wanted to learn it and share it with as many people as I could. Interesting stuff. Crucial Conversations, the name of the book. We have to take a break. I'm Dr. Andrea, visiting with Kevin Denning, C-suite executive from Utah. We're on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. This is Conversation Reimagined, and we'll be right back. French Rastafarian baker Chef Ugmat is a fourth-generation baker and has worked in 11 countries across three continents. Born in Mulhouse, France, he began apprenticing in his father's bakery at age 12 and has devoted his life to learning cultures of the world from inside kitchens across the globe. He also teaches traditional French baking by hosting demonstrations and classes, and his passion for baking is reflected in his delicious confections. With a deep respect for discipline and his Rastafarian way of life, Chef Uvmat exemplifies commitment to tradition and culture in a global world. Traveling extensively and combining a myriad of flavors into his recipes, Chef Ugmat brings a unique approach to baking. To read more about the French Rastafarian baker, visit www.frenchchefoug.com. That's H-U-G-U-E-S. Bon appétit and bless up. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, unlock your full potential with limitless growth. Published by iUniverse, Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them, rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Welcome back. We're live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and this is Conversation Reimagined. We're visiting with Kevin Denning, C-suite executive and former CEO from Utah. We've been discussing cultures of fear that are created in organizations and breaking it down now to fear and how it affects us individually. Before the break, Kevin expressed a bombshell of a statement. He said, the book Crucial Conversations teaches us that whatever is going on in your head is going to come out either through words, attitudes, or nonverbal behaviors. This is a certain poignant idea. Yet I can almost feel the vibes from some of our listeners talking to themselves in their head about what great actors and actresses they are. I'm sure I've said that myself in the past. So, Kevin, 
I'd like you to share with our listeners how you came to believe that people are so important. I think a lot of it comes from my childhood when we moved so much. Uh, I've had to work at creating friends very quickly. You know, it's interesting. We often are, um, well, there's an ongoing debate about nature versus nurture, why the way we are the way we are. But what's left out is of that debate is choice. We choose how we respond to people. But Kevin, wouldn't you say, and wouldn't a lot of people say that sometimes it's hard to choose? People can be difficult, so really we're choosing? Yeah. Um, let me share a, a brief story. This is from um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And I'll just paraphrase this story. He was on a subway in New York, and, you know, crowds in a small place, and everybody's kind of lost in their own world. Anyway, a man and his children get on the car, and the kids are loud and rambunctious, and, and instantly the whole climate in the car changed. Well, the man sat down and kind of closed his eyes and was oblivious to the situation with, with these kids. You know, you could tell the people being disturbed. Um, they were getting upset as the children kind of ran amok and, and were kind of running around. Yet he didn't do anything to control them. You know, how could anyone not be irritated at, at the situation? You could see the irritation on everybody's expression. I'm sure everyone's thinking something like a bad parent or a slack father or something. So finally, after enduring this and patiently waiting for him to react, I turned to him and said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could control them a little bit more. And the man looked up softly and said, oh, you're right. <clears throat> I guess I could do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I just don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. You know, in that story I told, it creates emotions and feelings in each of us and in each of our heads. If you're like me, and probably everybody else, you change from irritation to sympathy. Why? What, what changed? That's a great story. It really drives home your point about choice. I'm wondering if any listeners have tips or examples of how they step back in the moment to look at situations differently. If you do, please call in and let us know at 866-451-1451. And tell us your tips or examples of how you step back in the moment to look at situations in a different way. What changed, of course, Kevin, is more knowledge about the situation. What else do you do? Yeah, you know, I've, I've learned that if I get mad or if I get jealous or basically any other emotion, it's because I chose that emotion. Kevin, I have to ask again, don't you think some of our listeners are going to have a hard time with this idea and disagree that they don't choose to be mad? Listeners, love to know your story. 866 451 one, four, five, one. Kevin, what do you think or know about this? Well, you know, depending on who we're talking to, some people can say the same things and we react completely different. Um, we, we want a quick fix. 
And reprogramming our brain uh, is a long process and it's difficult. We have to learn to think first rather than respond. So being curious rather than defensive, asking probing questions. Um, we need to quit defending ourselves all the time. That's a great point. We must think first before reacting. I'd even challenge that responding is what we want because it's more deliberate and methodical, whereas reacting is a more unconscious activity. Here's the thing. Our brains do default to the negative. So we have to overcome this tendency that they're trying to keep us safe. And there are some things indeed that are harder to get over our reactions to. Some emotions are instinctual and physiological reactions, such as my instinctual reaction when I see a snake or even a coiled piece of rope before I realize it's just rope. I can't tell you how many times I've jumped over a piece of rope. Apparently, Sigmund Freud used to stand in front of the adder exhibit at the London Zoo and aggravate the snake to try to get him to strike at him through the glass. He did this in an attempt to overcome his physiological fear response. And get this, he never got over it. So some reactions will be harder than others. But when we can start to recognize when we are reacting, even if in delayed realization, we can start to get good at catching other people's, instead of catching other people doing things wrong, we can actually learn to catch ourselves and catch ourselves reacting as quickly as possible and even make amends for it. Perhaps we could catch ourselves ruminating and reacting and label it and then tell the other person, so, for instance, I might say, Kevin, I find myself wanting to react to what you're saying. So let's keep talking so I can figure out what's really bothering me about what you're saying, because I don't think my reaction is rightly placed at you. You know, I, I always messed this up in the beginning. Um, you have to consciously want to change what you're doing. And if we can ask questions that tend to reframe our thinking, it really helps. For example... If we're deciding between your idea or mine, just ask something like, how can we do both? Another thing we could do when a team member or somebody comes with a problem, um, I used to send them and say, I want you to come back with three alternative solutions. Now, this would both broaden their thinking and it would keep us from getting stuck in the yours or mine trap. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I've never had a boss who offered, how can we do both? That's really interesting stuff. We're about to take a break. I'm Dr. Andrea chatting with Kevin Denning, chief technology officer for CEO builder and former CEO of Cirrus Systems Corporation in Utah. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. When we come back, We'll specifically investigate fear in the workplace. We'll be right back. According to the American Nurses Association, there are approximately three and a half to four million nurses in the United States. So where do all these nurses work? What kind of roles do they have? What kind of education and training help to prepare them for so many different settings? What kind of impact do nurses have on patient outcomes? The World Health Organization has announced that 2020 will be the year of the nurse, honoring the 200th birth anniversary of Florence Nightingale, an international initiative called Nurse 
Nursing Now is underway to raise the profile of nursing. The National Academy of Medicine has convened a committee to create the future of nursing 2020 to 2030 that will focus on how the nursing profession can create a culture of health, reduce health disparities, and improve the health and well-being of the U.S. population. Learn more and join Joyce Batchelor on All About Nursing, Wednesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on the BBM Global Network. Renaissance woman, trailblazer, maverick. Those are just some of the words to describe to Chandra Poulard, owner and CEO of House Virgo Entertainment, LLC, a woman minority veteran-owned entertainment company based in Washington, D.C. Ms. Poulard served 10 years honorably in the United States Navy and departed from active duty to pursue her dreams of becoming an entertainment mogul. House of Virgo Entertainment offers script writing, producing, directing, DJ services, editing, and more. They cater to businesses, corporations, college students, working professionals, aspiring artists and nonprofit organizations, and employ veterans of the armed forces. Tashandra Poulard is pioneering the way we view media and taking her brand global. Visit her at www.houseofvirgoentertainment.com or call 281-515-3740 and like her on Facebook at House of Virgo Entertainment, LLC. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined. We're live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and I'm here with Kevin Denning, a corporate leader who knows how to keep people out of their fear states. Before the break, we were discussing how you can look at situations differently by challenging yourself to ask questions that will help you learn more about a person or a situation. And now we'll get more specifically into fear in the workplace. The neuroscience of fear and our fear networks inform us that we are born as blank slates and we have to learn to become fearful. Kevin, how did you hone in on this idea of fear and how do you think about it? Well, fear comes from experience. What do I do about it? You know, I ask myself, how can I make it safer? How can I change myself? Let me share an observation. As a CEO or president or any other leadership position, our title carries weight, whether we like it or not. When I used to ask people to come into my office to talk to them, I could see the fear in their expressions. Often they would ask if they were in trouble. I didn't like this. So I changed the way I asked them to come. I started to say something like, I'd like to talk to you about your ideas on this issue. Would you come to my office so we can discuss it? Not much harder to say, but their attitude went from fear to excitement. Another thing that Crucial Conversations taught me is to ask ourselves, what do I really want? You know, do I need to be right? To many, being right's kind of an addiction. Um, don't I just want to solve the problem? You know, where's my heart? Do I have to get credit? Do I need the last word? Do I have to put people down and in their place just because of my position? These are kind of some of the steps that I took to to change the way I was thinking. What a great tip. A simple language tweak. Instead of I'd like to talk to you about X, you said, I'd like to get your ideas on X. And that put them in the driver's seat. And you're right. It changed them from fear to excitement. And how do you gently teach people they have this addiction to being right or get them to consider a different way of thinking? 
how do we actually overcome our ego? Well, don't, don't forget this all takes practice. You know, you won't change yourself overnight. I didn't at first. I thought of all the best ways I could have handled it after the conversation went bad. You know, it took practice. As they say, practice, practice, practice. And it's hard. You can't really change others. You can only change yourself. However, once you quit generating fear in others, then they start coming to you and asking the right questions. That was powerful, Kevin. You can't change others. You can only change yourself. I know we've heard that before. And yet, as you said it here, I'm thinking of the leaders and bosses and supervisors who are always trying to change someone. Instead, they should be working with them on what they do best. I also loved your comment that once you quit generating fear in others, this is so true. I think the challenge is that few realize that by the way they interact or not, speak to, and even their word choice or disregard people, they're often generating fear in others. I wonder if our listeners have ever questioned whether they are generating fear in someone else or if they have any examples or thoughts on this. Listeners, I'd love to know your thoughts. Please call 866-451-1451. Kevin, as a CEO or any leader position, don't you actually need to show command of authority to your people? Well, if you treat people as people, they'll learn to respect and follow you. You know, when they trust you, everything gets better. About 80% of those who quit are not quitting because of a bad company. They're quitting a bad boss, treating people as people and not as property. And in companies, we can work on almost anything we choose. We can work, you know, what we work on may change. How we do it will most definitely change over time. But the people we cultivate and grow and teach can help us get to where we want to get. We need to remember that people matter. People matter. Yes. Yes, Kevin. People matter. I agree with you, which is why I'm saddened when I saw a 2018 Gallup study that found only two in 10 employees strongly agree that their performance is managed in a way that motivates them to do outstanding work. Two in 10 Clearly, there's a disconnect between what companies think they're doing for their employees versus how their employees feel. Listeners, what do you think? Are you among the two who are motivated by your boss and company or the eight out of 10 who are not? I'd love to know your thoughts. Please call me at 866-451-1451. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about is how fear shows up in the body, and it does so in two ways, biochemically and emotionally. The biochemical response is universal, and it's our instinctual survival mechanism. Our bodies respond by sweating and increasing our heart rates and shortness of breath, and that fight-or-flight response kicks in automatically. The irony is that this chemical and physiological reaction that our brains and bodies produce about fear is exactly the same as that produced when we're excited. So one way to temper fear is to change your thinking around it and simply tell yourself you're excited rather than afraid. 
It's that easy. You just have to keep saying it. The emotional response to fear, though, is highly personalized. Some view it as positive, some negative. Depends on the person and the situation. We all know, or maybe we are, adrenaline junkies, and we love extreme sports or scary movies. But some of us avoid fear and situations of fear like the plague. Slightly switching gears, some fear-based tactics are obvious and others harder to identify. I'm thinking about lack of communication being one that's harder to identify. Let me share some others and perhaps you'll identify your organization as I go through them. When things are in a don't, won't, or can't talk about them, when mistakes are met with punishment, leaders who micromanage, or when people act independently in silos and have one-way communication. Remember, when people are frightened, they don't perform well. We need to take a break. This is Conversation Reimagined. And we're on TuneIn Radio and the BBM Global Network. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, with Kevin Denning. And when we come back, we'll talk about mistakes and failure. We'll be right back. Psychologist, master certified coach, and CEO of the executive and organizational development firm True North Leadership, Dr. Relly Nadler brings his expertise in emotional intelligence to keynotes, consulting, coaching, and training. He is the author of Leader's Playbook and Leading with Emotional Intelligence that lays out tips and tools for effective leadership. Dr. Nadler has designed multi day executive boot camps for high achievers in Fortune 500 companies and has coached CEOs, presidents and their staff and developed and delivered innovative leadership programs for such organizations as Anheuser-Busch, BMW, MCI, EDS, DreamWorks Animation, the U.S. Navy and Vanguard Health Systems. To learn more and get your free iPhone app highlighting his tools with videos, leadership keys, visit www.truenorthleadership.com today. Attorney Renee Marie Smith is changing the way we sell real estate. She wrote a series of books called My Short Sale Guru Guides for all real estate practitioners. Whether you're a homeowner wanting to understand the process, an agent who has been handling short sales for years, or an industry analyst wanting to know how short sales impact your business, Renee uses her vast real estate experience to take a comprehensive look at the recent market phenomenon while relaying it in an easy-to-understand format. Through her company, Smith Title Services, Renee has counseled thousands of short sale participants and processed in excess of a thousand short sales. Her knowledge is transformational for real estate professionals and laymen alike, and her live presentations provide people the opportunity to ask specific questions about their issues. Buy her books and schedule her to speak at your next event. Visit www.smithtitleservices.com or call 305-705-3428 or email her at renee at smithtitleservices.com. Isn't it time to sell your property today? Learn the My Short Sale Guru way. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we're live with Kevin Denning, CTO for CEO Builder and former CEO of Cirrus Systems Corporation in Utah. And we're on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Before the break, we were talking about tweaking our language to lessen fear in others by asking them about their thoughts and ideas on situations. We also talked about how we can't change others. We can only change ourselves. There's a lot of things we fear in the workplace. Top among them are looking bad or stupid. We're embarrassed or ashamed to admit we don't know. 
I wonder, Kevin, what you did in attempt to lessen fear in the workplace. If, if we want people to grow, then there are times where you need to let them make mistakes so that you can let them learn. Uh, this is what we do with our kids, but unfortunately, we don't always do that with adults. And I don't know, I don't know why we don't. That's a good point. We learn more from our mistakes than our successes. And when we fail, we often ask why, but why is not the question we should be asking, partially because it sends us down a negative rabbit hole. More importantly, it doesn't trigger our soul searching. Most people think success is evidence that our strategy and practices work and that we have all the information or knowledge that we need. But individuals and organizations have theories or principles or rules of thumb that guide our actions. Sometimes they're sophisticated, rooted in science or extensive experience. Other times they're just informal and we're not aware. Learning is the process of updating those theories. And of course, sometimes personal experience alters them as well. Learning, though, is about understanding why things happen and lead to specific outcomes. But this understanding doesn't come automatically. We have to make a conscious choice to challenge our assumptions, which we usually only do as the result of failure, not success. Think back to when you learned how to ride a bike. We fall down. It hurts. We try another approach. So failure provides us with the motivation to learn. And when we succeed, we only apply what we already know rather than revise our theories or expand on our knowledge. And of course, there's the statement, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So interestingly, we truly learn better and more deeply from failure or mistakes than from successes. Kevin, what do you think about this? You know, allowing mistakes really doesn't have to cost that much, but there's a cost associated with it. Um, but these costs outweigh the benefits. Here's maybe a quick example. I work with my family on a farm and we grow cherries. Uh, due to the grandkids and nieces and nephews who normally work the farm growing up and uh, ended up... Anyway, this season, we because the other kids have moved on and, and grown up. We had an entire new crew of young kids. So I had a conversation with my father-in-law and asked him before the harvest, do you want production numbers or to teach the grandkids? If we're going to teach them, we have to allow maybe, I don't know, 10% of the cherries to fall on the ground and we'll be slower than normal, but they can learn. These kids are going to be my crew for the next few years. You know, so there's benefits to this. And in thinking this way, it really starts as we change the conversation. It changes the direction and our priorities. I love this idea of allowing people to make mistakes. And yet I don't see it enough in work environments. I'm wondering, listeners, what your experience is with being allowed to or not allowed to make mistakes. And I'd love it if you'd call in and share 866 Kevin, what about the people who will say our employees have immediate customer-facing responsibilities? We can't allow them to fail in front of our customers. Or what about hospitals where mistakes could be life and death? 
Well, everybody has different phases in their careers. I mean, when we're new to something, um, that's when we're there in learning mode. And that's when we need to let mistakes happen and is when people are new. We tend not to give them life and death responsibilities out of the gate. We need to create cultures where mistakes are okay. Everyone under you will react with how you deal with mistakes. Um, as they mature in their positions, they'll make less mistakes. But, I mean, after all, we all make mistakes. And if we as leaders make them, shouldn't we allow our people that same privilege? Well, you'd like to think so. And it seems like that could be great if you're the president or the CEO. Yet what if you're just a supervisor or mid-level management? You know, we all need to learn to be tolerant. Um, otherwise, you get to do all the work yourself. You can, how can you ever hand things off? Um, and, and if you don't, you become a tyrant. You need to, it takes time. And you've got to be tolerant. Uh, people are more important than just things and activities. I'm hung up on those perfectionists out there who want to do it all by themselves, thinking that they'll do it better. What would you say to them? Well, sure. They'll think that way. But, you know, were they born perfectionists? Didn't someone give them a chance to learn? You know, let's say you have, you have to let someone go uh, from, your, from your business despite your best efforts. They're just not working out. So the question is, whose fault is it that they're not working out? Why didn't the hiring process keep them from joining the company in the first place if they're not a good fit? You know, we could spend a whole discussion on hiring, but that's for another day. <laughs> because a mistake was made, who made it? You know, but it's okay. Let's deal with it, and let's deal with it in a positive way. Some of the things that we implemented were win-win departures. In some cases, we gave uh, those that weren't working out for a few weeks 10 hours a week of company time that they could find a new job, or we paid for some school after they left the company. We even played for placement, placement agencies and, and things. Wow. Like I said, you really get this. You understand how to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. We need to take a short break. I'm Dr. Andrea with my guest, Kevin Denning, Chief Technology Officer with CEO Builder in Utah. This is Conversation Reimagined, and we're live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. When we come back, we'll visit where we've been today. We'll be right back. Are you looking for employment and live in Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties? Jobs Annex is the place for you. Are you an employer looking to fill a position or quite a few positions in Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties? Jobs Annex is for you. Employers, JobsAnnex.com is your resource for career-minded people. JobsAnnex.com is the convenient place for job seekers and employers to hook up and move forward. Jobs Annex has been serving Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties for over 14 years. Jobs Annex is a former employment search firm. We've evaluated many thousands of resumes and we understand what employers want and what job applicants need to be successful in their interviews. At Jobs Annex, we provide you with the tools to tell your story for free. 
Our resources at jobsannex.com will help each applicant construct an award-winning resume, an eye-catching cover letter, and key interview questions to ask in various types of interviews. Best of all, it's free. Jobsannex.com. That's J-O-B-S-A-N-N-E-X.com. Hi, my name is Myra Fox, and I am a survivor. I am the founder of the Castle Lewis I Survived Foundation and the author of a series of books entitled I Survived a Murder Untold, which tells the story of my sister and I who were abandoned and left in the care of a woman who beat us repeatedly. Unfortunately, it resulted in the death of my sister, Castle Lewis, which is revealed in a page-to-page chilling story. After spending time in the foster care system, I've documented my suffering and my loss and ultimately my survival. I'm blessed to work daily in my community and surrounding areas to give back by helping others and feeding the homeless. I want to spread awareness of the dangers of abuse. You can purchase my books and contribute to the Castle Lewis I Survive Foundation by visiting www.castlelewis.com or you can call us at 540-999-8401. Thank you. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we've been chatting with Kevin Denning, Chief Technology Officer with CEO Builder and former CEO of Cirrus Systems Corporation in Utah. We're live on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Kevin, thank you for spending your afternoon with Conversation Reimagined and sharing your secrets for eliminating cultures of fear and keeping from frightening people with your words. Let me recap some of the secrets that you shared. We have the power to choose whether we're driven by fear or to choose how we react, respond, or act. Instead of catching others doing things wrong, let's catch our own reactions and then gently ask, what are we really reacting to to help us find our own compassion? Count to five, even three, for some of us just exhale and take a breath and listen before reacting to temper yourself and choose your response. Ask yourself what you really want, to be right, to solve the problem, to get credit, to need the last word, and of course, where's my heart? I also loved that when you have a conversation that goes bad, we all do or will, to challenge yourself to think of all the best stuff from that conversation and how that can happen now as a way to think about it differently. I'll continue to say, as I did last week, that good conversation starts with us. And more often, it is me, myself, and I who get it wrong. Kevin, I loved your sharing of when you spoke with individuals, you'd ask their three ideas on how to solve a problem. And then you'd provide even more and ask, how can we do both? Both. I love that. One thing we didn't talk about was when you talked to someone to consider going to their office or a neutral place. I used to have this boss who'd send me an email on Tuesday afternoon and say, I need to see you in my office on Friday at 10 a.m. That was it. No subject. No way to prepare. He effectively shot me in the head all week. And if productivity was what he wanted, his email had the opposite effect. I certainly knew he wasn't going to call me in and tell me what a great job I was doing or how valuable I was. Few of us ever get over the feeling of being called into the principal's office in elementary school. So be very careful about how and when you summon people to see you and where to meet them. If it's your office, you're the boss, and it's your way of the highway. Thank you, Kevin, for the reminder that you can't change others. You can only change yourself. 
many leaders I've met seem to make it their mission to change people and then chastise them when they make a mistake. I challenge all our listeners to start making mistakes okay so others learn from them instead of so scary. If you make it scary, they won't tell you when they screw up. And my favorite statement was, once you quit generating fear in others, they will come to you and start asking the right questions. What a great idea to leave us pondering. How might I be creating fear in others through the ways I speak to, interact with, and make time or not for others? Kevin, any last tidbit? Well, thanks. Uh, I just counsel everyone to begin working on taking control of your own thoughts and actions. You know, fear doesn't need to control us. It takes time to change in a lifetime of, to, to change a lifetime of patterns, but we can change. Remember, you're as happy as you choose to be, and we choose our emotions. Thank you, Kevin. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for opening our minds to new ways of thinking about eliminating cultures of fear and the importance of people. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. This only happens because of you. Join me next week when my guest will be Michael Leone, who has 34 years of martial and healing art experience. He's the head medical Qigong director of Zen Wellness in Arizona. And he's going to talk to us more about interacting than conversing. He has an interesting way of identifying people based on their predominant energy type that affects the way that they approach everything from life to conflicts and how knowing this will help us interact with others better. Thank you for sharing this time with Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea. Thank you to my guest, Kevin Denning, CTO of CEO Builder and former CEO for Cirrus Systems Corporation. And thank you for sharing your afternoon on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. See you all next week. been listening to Conversation Reimagined with host Dr. Andrea. Listen live as Dr. Andrea will explore methods to think about conversations differently or how to behave in order to have better relationship outcome. Gain insights, tools, and tips for having better conversations to have better relationships with Dr. Andrea. been listening to the bbm global network the ideas views and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas views and opinions of the bbm global network company Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.